Welcome to The Mushroom's Apprentice. I'm your host, Shona Home. Richie Ogulnik is an experienced ibogaine provider who facilitates professional therapeutic and psychospiritual treatments with ibogaine, as well as reintegration after the experience. He has conducted over 750 ibogaine sessions, including addiction interruption treatments. He has referred over a thousand people to other ibogaine providers and has trained doctors and ex-addicts to facilitate. His website is ibeginagain.org. Welcome, Richie. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you talk about this subject. I, I'm going to learn a lot today. So let's begin with having you explain the difference between ibogaine and mm -hmm. iboga. Sure, sure. In fact, um, the psycho-spiritual and therapeutic sessions, not the addiction interruption treatments, uh, are very well served if people train people uh, that are working with iboga and i began work with iboga or an iboga related uh product if you will uh which means that for example you could have a, a whole representation of the plant with all the synergy between the alkaloids which lends to it seems from my experience, a deepening in the intentional work in terms of doing a journey, doing a session. Whereas working with ibogaine, which is one of the 13 alkaloids that are located in the plant, Tabernathi iboga, is really, really great to use specifically for a detox addiction interruption treatment uh, because it adds more of what they call neuroibogaine to receptor sites such as the nicotine, the alcohol, opioid, and other receptor sites that helps eliminate craving after the ibogaine overwhelms the symptoms of withdrawal. So a person, for example, doing 300 milligrams of pain management medication or three grams of heroin literally is placed into a pre-addictive state without having to go through the, the agony of withdrawal. And for those specific kinds of treatments, the isolated ibogaine hydrochloride is the best uh, medicine, if you will, to use. Okay, how is, how is ibogaine created exactly? Ibogaine is an, one of the active alkaloids located in the plant, Tabernathi iboga. And it's a, a, a reasonably simple extraction process. I'd like to get into what brought you to this path in the first place. All right. I'll tell you a story. It was the Thanksgiving week of 1989 um, that I received a call from a, a friend of mine who was back then, he was in his 50s, and he had a, a real severe alcohol challenge. And we met on the streets of New York while he sold his wife's earrings on the street. And I was selling my crafted rings, which I did for 21 years. And, um, and we always kept each other privy, the latest alternative 
modality. And he called me when he read an article in the Village Voice in Manhattan. And uh, and it, the front page was about Ibogaine. And he wondered if I knew anything about it. As soon as I heard the word and how he described it to me, I immediately walked to the Herbarian Library at the University of Florida here in Gainesville and found a one-page readout of a little corporation by a single individual by the name of Howard Lotsoff. Um, and I called Howard and he sent me, this was before computers, he sent me a, a hard copy packet of information and a few of the pages that I received uh, uh, documented a half a dozen addiction interruption treatments that Howard performed after he experienced his experience with Ibogaine. And what happened was they were all heroin addicts and Howard received a dose of Ibogaine from a, a, from a chemist. And the chemist said, I think this is going to be an interesting experience for you because Howard Lotsoff was the first person to get busted uh, uh, with LSD back uh, just when it became illegal. Um, and uh, before that, in 1962, he took this dose under the influence, I mean, he took this dose of, of Ibogaine and he told me that three and a half days later, he walked out of his apartment in the village at 19 years old and he looked up at a tree and he said to me, it was the first time in his life that he wasn't afraid. And then he continued walking into the village to Washington Square and he realized he wasn't in narcotic withdrawal. And so he went back to the chemist and he said, what, what did you give me? What was that? The chemist gave him another five or six doses. Howard dosed his friends and the same thing happened. Not that they all stayed clean at 19, 20 years old, going back to their lives and the way they were, but the fact that um, it was their addictions were interrupted without having to go through the absolute insidiousness of the symptoms of withdrawal was, was a bit of a miracle. Um, he put it aside for a good 20 years until the mid-80s when he picked it back up again. Um, and then we met. Um, and it took me two and a half, three years to gather the courage, the few thousand dollars, mosquito net, sleeping bag. <clears throat> and I was off to, to Yuande, Cameroon, not really knowing how to navigate finding Iboga in southern Cameroon, where I heard it grew along, along with Gabon, but I decided to go to Cameroon. <clears throat> so I didn't know where to go. So I went to um, a university with it seemed like there was a few thousand kids walking around with no books. A couple of professors had told me that they hadn't gotten paid for a few months, and I didn't really know where to go. Most of them didn't speak English. They spoke um, uh, their dialect, 
along with French. But I knocked on an organic chemistry department door, thinking maybe somebody there will, will speak English. And um, a couple of guys apparently were playing cards. And they said, oh, I began. Come back tomorrow. Here at this office, I think somebody will be able to help you. So I came back and I, you know, the, the door was answered. Six foot five, 300 pound guy looks at me. He says, what? I began? How did you find me? I'm the only chemist on the continent of Africa that has spent the last year and a half perfecting the extraction process. And he practically carries me. He was so excited. <laughs> so he's, you know, he weighs twice as much as me. He carries me to a 150-year-old looking wooden chest, all beat up. He takes a vial of white powder, 13 grams of ibogaine hydrochloride out of it. And he says, you know, here it is. And I said, can I have it? And he said, well, I'll sell it to you. And I said, how much? He said, $1,000 a gram. I said, I only have 4000 in my pocket. He said, that's okay, you'll come back. <laughs> so I had 13 grams of Ibogaine hydrochloride um, in the heel of my shoe, which I routed out, took my, my daughter to the mall. And before I left Florida, I had a, a, a hole routed out in my shoe thinking, Maybe I'll stash money in there or whatever. Um, so I had the, the Ibogaine and, uh, and I had some seeds. And I remember walking down um, a busy street in Yuande where um, there was a half a dozen guys that were following me. So I proceeded to then walk in the middle of the street where the cars were to have a little bit more company. Um, because there was thousands of people teeming and it was so chaotic. And when I went to the university, there was glass on the ground and it was just completely chaotic. And the, the, the government was in total, country was in total disarray economically and politically. And, uh, and I had some seeds in my hand and I remember it was about... 96 degrees outside and I felt a rush up the spine and I, f I heard myself say that the seeds in my hand are, if not as more significant than the, the Ibogaine that's in the heel of my shoe because Ibogo wants to have the capacity to be looking over the Pacific Ocean, not just the Atlantic Ocean, and it wants to propagate throughout the world. And then when I got on the plane, I realized that I was taking Ibogaine back uh, to the West and that I needed to create a pseudonym. So I really quickly picked two friends from junior high school and I used one first name and the second friend, the second name, and I deliberately used a shorter second name than my real name so that I wouldn't have to spell it, which I've been spelling my real name my entire life. And it turned out that even though it was short, Eric Taub 
was is my pseudonym. I still end up. Uh, people said, "So is it tub? Is it tube?" So I still had to spell it, but at least I didn't have to spell such a long name. So that was okay. So um, I came back, and it, literally the day that I came back was the day that a 66-year-old client of a uh, of a dear friend of mine dropped a chapter from an out-of-print book called The Healing Journey by the therapist Claudio Naranjo in her lap. And the chapter was named Ibogaine, Fantasy and Reality. And it was a documentation of about 40 interactive mid-range dose, not addiction interruption dose sessions, which enabled the therapist to um, interact and to help the person access specific memories having to do with issues around, you know, mother, father, siblings, life experiences. Um, and no one except a couple of family members and two two friends knew that I was coming back that day. So that was a really interesting synchronistic event that helped us um, begin to explore and create the psychospiritual and therapeutic dose ranges because we didn't have any information about that. We only had information specifically about dose ranges that would address addiction interruption. Could you talk about dosages and then what happens depending on the dose? What is the experience? Uh -huh. Well, you can go from microdosing, which there's two apparent definitions to microdosing because some people feel you want to get to a point where you're feeling some effects, whether it's more focus, less anxiety, whether it uh, you know has other characteristics, other symptoms, um, which a person wants to experience two or three or four times a week by taking a certain amount in a microdose experience. Um, or the other definition is you take a small amount and you don't feel the effects, but you trust that the literature, which, you know, says that there's this, this uh, neuroplasticity, there's a, a cumulative effect, positive effect um, without having symptoms. Um, and you take a small dose, you're completely functional. You go to work, you take care of your kids, you do what you want to do. Um, so there's that range, which is you know, very varied and tremendously varied, actually, according to a person's tolerance. As some people are sensitive to such a, a couple of grains of, uh, of iboga and others don't feel anything taking a half a gram. So people need to play and adjust, experiment um, in terms of microdosing. Like, for example, um, I often have at least a couple of people microdosing on a regular basis for symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Um, for example, a mom um, had to 
walk with a cane around her kitchen. And when she microdosed, after just a few days, she would not use, be using her cane and she'd be walking around the block a couple of times. Um, physical therapists have shared with me that after a full-blown session with a person that's diagnosed with Parkinson's, their bodies are more agile. It seems like it cleanses the lymphatic system. And so there's just so much research that needs to be done, but because our hands were tied behind our backs for 50 years, because Ibogaine was thrown onto the the uh, controlled substance list in 1970 with all the other recreational uh, psychedelics, um, it's just only you know, in the last 20 years or so that there's been, you know, tastes of research and of course more and more now, just today, there's a conference in Kentucky specifically addressing Ibogaine because the government has uh, shared $47 million for for Kentucky to conduct studies and to open up possibly open up centers. I'm not really sure. I have a whole bunch of friends that are there now schmoozing with each other. Uh, so the doses for psychotherapeutic and addiction interruption sessions are very, very different. And um, it's also very different as to how it needs to be administered because when you're dealing with an opioid uh, addiction, you want to be able to overwhelm the symptoms of withdrawal, which will necessitate giving the, the Ibogaine closer together in time so that there's more of a flood dose. So it overwhelms the symptoms of withdrawal. Whereas with psychospiritual and therapeutic sessions, the latest innovation and understanding is to do it, to give the medicine more gradually over a period of time so that a person can more gently reflect upon what they're exploring. Because when you do a flood dose, by the time you're, by the time the movie screen appears and there's a particular theme that you want to explore, because you're, you've been giving the medicine so close together, by the time you want to explore something, you're already three and a half uh, themes down the road. And it's things are happening just so fast and furious for those few hours if you flood dose. But if you give the medicine more gradually, you move into that second stage without having to, to go through feeling like you're going 200 miles off of a cliff, but living to talk about it. It's not necessary to experience that. So during the last several years, unlike the first couple of decades, um, I'm, I'm doing a much more gentle, gradual, cumulative, because people still receive quite a bit over a period of six to seven hours, um, but they have time to reflect. And then they go into that second 16 to 36 hour, depends upon the person, deep self-reflective stage where they're under the covers with their eyes closed in a waking dream state. 
And what's the actual experience like? So you just said a waking dream state. I mean, I've heard different stories, but I don't want to confuse iboga with ibogaine. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, in some ways, I, iboga experience and the ibogaine experience, because for the first 20 years, I only had access to ibogaine. And I was doing a lot of psychospiritual sessions. And although I see the value of having the synergy between all the the alkaloids located full in the full plan, people had absolutely life-changing, profound experiences and shifts doing the the actual, you know, just doing the ibogaine hydrochloride. Um, but then I finally, after many, many years, convinced my my proud chemists at the lab in Italy to, to, to extract to a certain point so that we could still enjoy the full spectrum of the plant. They were just so proud of their 96.5% ibogaine hydrochloride that it took me a decade to convince them that, you know, there are other intentions and there are other, other types of sessions that we want to do. I don't think I answered your question. I don't remember what it was. What, what is the actual session like? Okay. Thank you. It depends on the person. I mean, it's just so profoundly different um, from, a, from a, a person sitting up and, and, and staring at a, a white wall for 16 and a half hours and typing 34 single space typewritten pages to me, describing 16 and a half hours of her visions to a person feeling like she took a quarter of a Valium. That's the range. You know, that's the range after 30 years. So I'm giving you the range and then all the different permutations in between. And I have to say, very interestingly, and what I, I learned a lot from this is that overall, over a period of several months thereafter, the person that practically didn't experience anything got more out of it, came out of that experience with less of how she falsely defined herself than the person that was documenting the 16 and a half. So the lights and the cameras aren't impressive to me. It's where a person's at six months later. And especially if a person six months later says to me that it feels like they did a session last week, then that that really floods my boat because that means that they didn't reconstruct their old sense of self, that they've moved on. And even if you take a half a dozen percent out of yourself, when you come out of that bed, if you take a half percent, a half a, uh, if you take six degrees and you take a plane, and six months later it's going to be in a completely different place in the world. And that's what I've seen people experience. It's really challenging for us as humans to, to let go of how we're defining ourselves. And if we take a little bit out and we work with that, and so I'm on the phone with people anywhere between three days and two and a half years, um, you know, sharing how to maintain that new sense of, of, of freedom. Because along with that, 
often comes not knowing. It's abiding in that sense of not knowing. And people are confused because they've let go. And confusion to me is highly underrated. I, I really respect confusion and and so we work on on not working we we work on relaxing and then and then letting go of the one that's relaxing so that a person could abide in 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 what is really deeply so that they could experience peace and joy from within not causeless joy not something that they're deriving from something outside an experience or an object of perception what do you think is happening with the ibogaine like what is it doing that's a good question and i'm probably the last one in the ibogaine movement to ask because i've i've never taught myself which a lot of people in the iboga world has have ex addicts are just astoundingly meticulous and brilliant when it comes to having taught themselves the pharmacology of ibogaine but it's over my head (laughs) (laughs) would you say the spirit is very much intact in in ibogaine as much as it is in in the iboga because we've taken away Uh uh-huh um well so this is my take on plant medicines just generally I, 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 you know, personally, I'm not a shaman. Okay, I'm, I'm just this quintessential Western guy with five Gemini's in my chart, born the morning of the sunrise of May 30th, the memorial, the memorial holiday. If you align me with, with July 4th, you're going to see this love affair with the United States. I refuse. People wanted me to help them open up centers throughout this hemisphere and other hemispheres. And I refused to leave the United States. I refused not to pick up my 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 daughters from school and take them to soccer. Even, even, even while there was a couple of treatments where I was training people who were helping me, literally happening around the corner. So where was I going with that one? We're talking about the spirit Thank you. So I can't relate to the way a lot of people speak about how anthropomorphic the plant medicines are, how they have like this kind of personal entity. My take on it, whatever it's worth, is that these are plants and they have a certain healing capacity for sure, a certain energetic, but they're just sitting there. And unless an animal or a human being ingest them with intent, then only then is the interaction, is the symbiotic relationship happens so that healing can take place. Otherwise, they're just sitting there and all the different plant medicines have different vibrational uh, happenings. You know, they're all coming from a different vibrational space. So, I, I think the whole yeah, representation of the plant is, a, is definitely more appropriate for the psycho-spiritual sessions because it lends to a, a deepening, a thorough exploration of, of intentions on, on those more abstract levels, more, 
abstract levels compared to the ibogaine, which is really essentially addresses the outer core of the issue, which is initially the addiction, the physical addiction to overwhelm the symptoms of withdrawal. That's the important thing that we want to address. And then uh, people still explore, uh, mostly psychologically. A lot of addicts come out having been very humbled by the experience of just re, you know, all those hours of being in bed and just rehashing. And it's a very humbling experience to, you know, rekindle the memories of all the burnt bridges and and all the the years lost. And they come out for the first time realizing that I really need to do something different now. And they're not craving. So they have a choice again, which is really beautiful. But at that point, they're, in my opinion, 49% there. Then the work begins because they need to explore. Most people in their 20s and 30s relapse and less. They explore the reasons why they became addicts in the first place. And from my experience, about 60% of the people that call me that are in that are addicted to a substance have an issue, an abandonment issue, some kind of an emotional and or physical break with the same sex parent. Um, and it's so interesting, but depending upon the the way in which the abandonment happened within the family structure, seems to have a lot to do with the specific type of drug that the person's attracted to. So then, for example, if it's a boy, if the dad was a, a workaholic slash alcoholic, uh, an alpha kind of guy, and the, the son was more of a, a poet, more sensitive, they had, you know, the family structure was still intact, but the son will have a tendency to be attracted to stimulants. Whereas if the, the, the father wasn't physically present or was abusive or an addict himself, um, then the boy would want to be attracted to opioids. Um, and so that, uh, that needs to be addressed, especially when a person doesn't have a life, so to speak. And they're in their 20s and 30s. And after an Ibogaine session, they're in a state of, they haven't been gently placed, but basically they've been thrown into a pre-addictive state. Most of them, if they're, for example, 25 years old, and they started doing heroin at 17, their propensity has been not to look inside, but to be constantly running away from looking inside and addressing that issue. And so they go back to their, mom's basement after I began and they don't have the willingness to sit across from the same sex therapist that they really admire and respect, they're going to relapse. But when a person's in their forties and fifties and they have a couple of kids on the way to college and a mortgage and a job that they kind of life and a support system, then there's a good chance that they won't relapse, even if they don't do therapy. 
Interesting. I know someone, this was a few years back, who was addicted to Kratom or Kratom. Kratom, Kratom yeah. And it's <clears throat> touted as this miracle for getting people off opioids. The problem is it's highly it's addicting. addictive. Yeah. Yes. And it is legal. And I know in Florida, there are Kratom coffee bars. And this person was just horrendously addicted. And, and, and boy, it has terrible repercussions physically as you move forward yeah. and so they went to a place to use ibogaine and and it it cured it, it, oh yeah it, it just yeah kratom um both both of those equations hold true for kratom kratom can be used but if you begin to entertain needing in quotes more than 10 to 15 grams a day you're going to become physically addicted. It, it hits the same receptor sites as opioids, but it it doesn't really. It's not an opioid, but it hits the same sites, and it has a withdrawal process that's you know pretty insidious. Um, and it also uh, uh, medically these days uh, people need to transfer from kratom to something else before they do ibogaine because kratom prolongs the QTC, which is the, generally speaking, it's the electrical current that runs through the heart. And ibogaine temporarily prolongs the QTC. So if it's already, you know, so the, so we don't want to mix the two. Hmm. Um yeah, so I I began just since I'm on the subject of safety. Y yes, that was going to actually be my next question: is precautions. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I began is unlike other psychoactives. It necessitates um, a uh, an EKG, a passive heart test, and we're looking for a couple of specific red flags. The QTC prolonged is one. However, if the red flags aren't indicators, then it's intrinsically safe. And I haven't personally had an incident in over 30 years, although I know a lot of people that have had incidences at their centers and so on. Um, however, there's no question about it that I began saves a lot more, a lot more lives than it loses. Um, <laughs> That's for sure. There's only been a few incidences, and a lot of them have been when um, a person has self-medicated, um, or they had some heart issues that weren't taken a look at. Um, the other thing I, I need to say about Ibogaine, which is very speculative, and it's just my opinion, I don't think there's another psychoactive on the planet, although I don't have that much experience. Um, and so some people would note, in their opinion, there are other psychoactives that adhere to this theory that I have, which is that you can take, you can take 5, 15, 19 grams of psilocybin, and there's just no way that you're going to die. But... I think it's possible that, and one of the counterindications to doing iboga 
is suicidal ideation. Because I do think it's possible that you can cut the cord under the influence of iboga. Whereas with other psychoactives, LSD, you could take a thousand doses you know, and trip your brains out, but you're not going to die. Um, so that's, I'm sure, a controversial opinion, but you know, it's something to, to consider. And that's why I've always adhered to suicidal ideation being one of the few counterindications. And there are a lot of medical, there's a lot of uh, uh, counterindications in terms of uh, having to come off of SSRIs and antipsychotic, anti anxiety medications and, and things before you do iboga, um, unlike perhaps other psychoactives and psychedelics. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I have over, I host these retreats and I've done this for nine years now. And I've had so many clients come who were on SSRIs, who went off to, to come do the work, but they rue the day they ever took those damn pills. So my question is, does Ibogaine help someone like that to get off of those medications? Perhaps. It's very much so. And of course, it ten, depends on the individual. But um, sure, if you um, if you come out of a session and and feel a sense of quietude and recognize that sixty percent of literally the contents, the amount of thoughts that are running through your mind every hour are gone, and if you remain, do the you know, the post-session work um, and remain in that quiet and deepen that sense of peace and quiet, then, you know, you don't, you don't need to take certain of those meds anymore. There's a lot of people that I've experienced that um, no longer have anxiety after they do iboga. What does a session, an actual session, look like, and and what would be the preparation for it? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I personally I do uh, sessions, um, but I don't do the addiction interruption treatments anymore. I used to fifteen and a half years, but then I spent about ten years on the phone referring people who I trained and referring them to and other people too that were well trained elsewhere um, um and so i i spend at least two and a half to about four weeks on the phone with people specifically helping them clarify two specific themes two intentions that they want to explore and work through um, and we end up invariably talking about mom and dad and siblings and life experiences that reflect the reason why they're choosing these. I call them themes because it's really not necessary for a person to have an intention that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, yeah. sentence-wise. Um, it's just a theme. It's a certain, a certain thing, a certain story that they want to explore. And often 
the stories, not always, but often the stories have threads that are connected, connected to, to dad and connected to mom separately. Now, mom represents how you just intrinsically feel about yourself because we kind of superimposed upon us our mom's inner sanctum, whether it was angst, worry, joy, we've picked we picked up a lot from mom. Whereas dad represents our first relationship. He has a lot to do with our relationship with creativity, with finding a passion, with money. Um, so he kind of represents a lot of the outward orientation to our world view. And our mom is more how we feel about ourselves internally. Um, and sometimes, not always, but a good portion of the time, we talk a lot for hours, depending upon the person, um, how much time they give the intentional work um, before we do the two-day, 48-hour uh, session. Um, and then thereafter, as I said before, um, depending upon how often, because I have no time frame, this is all in one package, and I don't, you know, there's no hourly trip going on here, um, and I have all the time in the world to have people call me, um, whether it's for 10 minutes or if it's for an hour and 10 minutes, like if they, something comes up during lunch, you know, in this busy culture of ours, um, they, they just call me, old school you don't have to spend three days texting to prepare to have an intimate phone conversation. <laughs> Crying out loud, guys. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. <laughs> um, so now that's generally what what the session looks like. Well, or the preparation and the post after the session, but but then the session itself. Mm. So the session, it sounds like it's we're talking, it could last anywhere from what, 10 hours to 36 hours? Yeah, yeah. But but the internal swing is definitely for at least 36 hours. Okay. And I encourage people to keep their phones off and to stay quiet, even during that last half a day when some people are already kind of moving out. So are they with you in person, Richie, or are they in their home? How, how does that mm -hmm. work? Yeah, well, this is something that I'd like to speak to about um, when somebody calls me to get the specifics around logistics. All right, let's move on to, okay, it's my understanding that in terms of sourcing this medicine, doesn't it take like 15 years for the actual tree to- Yeah, 10, 10 to 15 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I heard from someone who they recently worked with Iboga at, at a, a, a very wonderful place. It sounds like in Costa Rica, but they said Gabon is an absolute mess. Like it's, it is a mess there in terms of these people going there and just monopolizing and take, 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 and very, very poor native uh -huh. people. And it that's just a mess. And and in terms of sustainability, there's issues. I, I'd love to hear what you have to say about uh -huh. that. Um, there are a lot of more and more sustainable farms. There are good. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and not only in Gabon, 
the Cameroon and uh, Ghana, Republic of Congo, um, and starting to pop up a little bit in the Western Hemisphere, just beginning in Brazil. Um, I'm I'm laughing because when I was when I was eight, about maybe ten years old, I was walking to public school, and suddenly, in my mind's eye, I had a map of of the southern part of this hemisphere, and I saw how the peninsula city of Salvador, in the state of Bahia in Brazil, kind of jutted out into the Atlantic Ocean and on the other side was West Central Africa. Obviously, without question, these were two pieces of a puzzle that were conjoined God knows how many hundreds and millions of years ago. But I thought to myself, wow, what a vision. And that this was gonna be an integral part of my life's journey. And I, you know, I was walking to you know sixth grade you know, so something, fifth grade. And um, and then I I met a friend and I helped her uh, move to Bahia and she bought land and she opened up, a created a posada on the beach in a little town considered the Hawaii of, of Brazil called Itacare, where she is now, um, 25, 30 years later. And she's growing iboga with uh, a group of iboga people. Um, so, uh, so that's you know happening in the next generation or two. Uh, this hemisphere is going to be um, able to provide. But now, also, what's really great in terms of sustainability is that about five years ago. It was discovered that uh, ibogaine is located in small quantities in a tree that grows all around the world called the wakanga, wakanga tree. And so there's a new process of extraction, a little more complex, to uh, work with specifically addicts and create a 99.5% pure ibogaine from the wakanga tree so that the Tabernacle the iboga does not have to be utilized for addiction interruption. It could only, it only needs to be, uh, it only will be appropriately used for therapeutic and psychospiritual intentions. Isn't that interesting? It really, yeah. it's like the spirit of that medicine w wants to be out in the greater world. As if. As if, okay. <laughs> if <laughs> like, you wish. We need it. Well, that's, I, I look at it that way and and we need it desperately. My goodness. Yeah, yeah nature supplies. <laughs> yes, yes. I always say she has a cure for everything. Absolutely everything. My goodness. So uh, quickly back to the sustainability and back to Cameroon, Gabon. So are there... Are the people themselves, the native inhabitants there, are 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 they farming? Are they, you know, benefiting from this? Because um, outside people starting farms and for sustainability, and that's great. But what about the people, the native people themselves? 
I think some are, but I, I'm not really privy. Yeah. Okay. That much, I, as I mentioned before, I'm I'm quite the Westerner. Yes. Yes. Well, and Richie, I have to say, my goodness, I I'm really so touched by this work. It's it's such it's a it's a dharma. It's your path, obviously. It takes such dedication. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It's like brushing my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that the first 10 years um, was I had a lot of vested interest, a lot of ego involvement in, in, in the work that I was doing. And then slowly, slowly, I lost the identification with it um, so completely, you know, that I can you know, go to a supermarket and feel that I'm no different than the person that's you know serving me. There's no, there's no identification there whatsoever. Um, and I, and honestly, I, I feel like my work was almost completely over during the first few years of my involvement, because then I wasn't really doing anything other than what other people were doing that I had already trained and and then, you know, worked with. And so, you know, so then I just kind of ran alongside. And, and, and a few years ago when I stumbled upon, as a result of COVID, this very specific way that I'm working now, um, which logistically is just so profoundly doable and financially able to reach so many more people because Ibogaine has been notoriously known as being very expensive. So a lot of people in the plant medicine communities kind of either put it on the back burner, you know, don't, don't pay too much attention to it. Well, I've changed that. And, and, uh, and I just, you know, would rather people call so that I can elaborate on this part of the equation. Yes, yes. And and of course, most addicts have blown through whatever money they may have had in the first place, right? So I mean they really and they need they need this help. Yeah, yeah. That and also mostly the psychospiritual and therapeutic sessions are just able to be experienced much, much easier now with this new uh way in which that i've uh that i'm introducing and i'm training people and it doesn't cost money to be trained i want to see since there's that literally thousands of people um helping the mainstream move into the psychedelic uh, experience there's literally not even a handful of iboga providers in this United States. And so I'm training people very, very simply and logistically very, very easily to work with this medicine. So when you train someone to work with this medicine, is it a requirement that they experience the medicine? I mean, yeah, yes. It's, you know, they would have is. to. That's right. Yeah, and, and some people call me, they want to be trained. They did a session five or 10 years ago and they don't have to do the session with me. 
if they don't want to. That's fine. As long as a person knows what a person's experiencing when that person's under the covers with their eyes closed for 15 to 35 hours, then because it looks like the person's sleeping, but they're not, they're fully awake. So that that's sort of the, that's the criteria um, that's necessary for a person to create the the safe space. Of course, of course. So, can you give just a kind of a general idea of how does your training work? Do they are they with you? I would think they would be when you're doing a session for someone else. Yeah, people need to call me. Yes, yes. To, to get to get the information, people don't have to have such a sense of a phone call being so intimate, you know, just a phone call. Yes. And and then we'll have a, we'll pretend we're in the living room together. We'll have a conversation. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I realize this is, you know, we're treading, we're being careful how we tread here, of course. And I'm, I am very curious, very, I just, this is yeah. a subject. Yeah, I might. I mean, tomorrow I might just push the envelope to the other side and just, have an interview. Well, actually, tomorrow you're mentioning that it's going to go to particular people. Yes, the second yeah. hour so, is for so then I'll, Correct. So then I'll, I'll be. Yeah, then I'll I'll carry on. Okay, that's good to know. That's with good. with with my with my major two cents. All right, I love that. Then okay, so is there is there a synthetic for ibogaine? Have they? Well, actually, the Vokanga. They consider it a semi-synthetic, but no, the the plant, uh, the tabernacle, the iboga, the representation of the alkaloids. Um, now, there's no way that they're going to synthesize it. You know, people are still a couple of decades later are still, you know, considering creating a patch. Um, you know, there's still considerations in the pharmaceutical field. Um, but I'm not really privy of of what's going on and where it's going to go. Okay, okay. What what advice would you give for people seeking this treatment? And and I think people really need some good advice. And and there's yeah, a they really do because there's a lot of shysters out there, um, and there's a lot of really good people that are dedicated and caring, medically savvy. So again, call me because I know the entire community throughout the world. And then I know people that are working really responsibly and, and others that are not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's a cost variance and there's, there's different models from the medical model to the shaman model and all of the, the permutations in between. And so it depends on finances. It depends on the proclivity the person has towards more of the shamanic or more of the medical model, you know, and, and so I could, you know, help them, you know, I don't charge anything. People just can call me and, um, and, and we can just talk and, and get clear on which way you want to go. And so is that for both Ibogaine and Iboga that you can got kind of steer people? Sure. Oh yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Now, what about <laughs> what about qualities of a practitioner? What would you say? And you've trained so many people. 
Yeah, I, I trained. I mean, you know, I trained a, a couple of doctors, paraclinicians, particularly the ex-addicts were the, the most astoundingly sensitive and intuitive providers to this day. Um, just incredible how they are so smart and so able to absorb information in terms of uh, what potentiates the experience, what obviates it, and um, and then the pharmacology and the counterindications and just the caring and the dedication because they their lives were saved as a result. Yes. You know, I, I came to, I became through a very unusual door of service. Um, I wasn't even a psychonaut. And people throughout the the decades would send me um, Coca Cola T-shirts and lamps, and you know, not realizing that I, I really, I did LSD when I was eighteen, and a year and a half later, after realizing that the LSD was the first time that I felt like I was home, immediately was propelled to get into meditation and that was that was my way through for decades um so i was never a psychonaut uh, psychedelics were never my personal way through except that i was always looking for something dharma or right livelihood to do as an end in itself not as a means to an end and that's why i was always waiting and watching to find something that i can really have a passion do to bring to the world it was a bit of a messianic complex i wanted to go to africa to 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 africa initially and then find like forty thousand doses that i can buy for three cents each go to needle park you know dose out ten thousand people one half of them would show up for their free needles call cnn and that would be the end of my messianic complex right <laughs> that was my goal. I mean, I was very naive. Uh, <laughs> you know, I got 13 grams in the heel of my shoe, you know, <laughs> and and 30 years later, a total in the world of maybe 25,000 people have taken up the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> at least it's out there. You know. Right. <laughs> That's I right. Goodness. I mean, you've been very instrumental. In, in making this happen for people. And I, I think at the end of the day too, the spirit of that plant, I'll speak in my kind of philosophical- <laughs> yeah. oh, An Anthropomorphic way. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> but I do, I think this, the ultimately the spirit, it doesn't care the color of your skin, where you come, it's looking at your heart. Is your heart in the right place? <laughs> Seriously. And I, yeah, well, you can wave me off. <laughs> I'm telling you, Richie, you've got a clearly like a very generous, good heart. This is what we need. And and I don't sense any kind of, I don't know, arrogance or ego, just this very genuine. Not anymore. I'm old. Not anymore. <laughs> yes, we do temper. I will. I will temper at the age of 60. You, you should have seen me. <laughs> Well, here you are, wise elder. And 
that is, uh, I just had a conversation with Rak Razam the other day about, about the importance of the elders. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they're so needed. And you certainly, you certainly are walking that path. <laughs> All righty. Enough of that. <laughs> just take it, Richie. Just accept it. <laughs> well, listen, let's finish this first hour. Okay. And- and I will invite listeners to come over to the mushroomsapprentice.com and subscribe. And oh boy, uh, we are. Oh boy, let it rip more, tomorrow. Uh, we got a lot more to talk about. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you again so much, Richie. This oh, is thank fun. you for inviting me. It's been it's been fun. Excellent. Okay. Right. Ciao.